Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This episode of Doing Time may contain audio images and discussion of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who have died. And this is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Brett Collins from Justice Action, and he's going to be giving us a little bit of an overview and updates on what's happening at Justice Action and some of the projects that they're doing. In particular, we will be discussing computers in prison cells and looking at forced medication of mental health patients and prisoners, and looking basically at violations of human rights. After that, we will be speaking with... First Nations educator and author, cross-cultural community educator and author, Richard Trungeon, who was the special guest speaker for the 2023 Mile Creek Massacre Memorial Event, yarning about truth-telling. And we will speak with Richard about the sophistication of language and its immense power in understanding original medical, legal and economic systems. And we'll also discuss other things as well. So we will be speaking now with Brett shortly. Gas is a toxic fossil fuel, yet gas exploration by sonic explosion is planned for the Otway Basin. Seismic blasting kills plankton and deafens whales, disrupting their migration. This blasting is opposed by coastal communities from Geelong to Apollo Bay and Warrnambool who strive to protect the ocean ecosystems. Bring Whale Song into Nam City, Friday the 15th of September at Queen's Bridge near Flinders Street at 4.30pm and onto the State Library for 5.30pm. Rally for Whale Song Not Gas is hosted by Extinction Rebellion, a 3CR supporter. People have just tuned in. This is 3CR Community Radio Doing Time Show. And we're going to be speaking with Brett from Justice Action. Hello, Brett. Welcome. Yes, good afternoon, Marissa. Lovely to have you. Now, Brett, could you just tell us a little bit about what's been happening with Justice Action? I know you've been doing a lot of work. Can you tell us a bit about computers in prison cells to start off with? Look, absolutely. Look, we're following through on the success we had here in New South Wales. 
some of the states, uh, I think Victoria um, amongst them, is uh, they're lagging behind and not um, not doing what they could be doing. But um, in New South Wales, we achieved um, the success of having every person, every prisoner, um, having access to a computer tablet or laptop and access to a whole range of stuff as well. But it means they can um, make um, calls in their cells up to, up to 10 o'clock at night, um, have conversations with their family, they can then, or messaging is coming on, and also video calls is coming on as well. So those things are um, very significant so far as communication is concerned. And then on top of that, they have access to whitelisted websites. So, so a whole lot of stuff is now coming on. Um, they say that the 600, um, they say, the, I'm talking about collective services, says the 600 items that are currently up on there, although we, um, uh, we are, we're looking carefully to see what that exactly that, that is. But we're keen to make sure that there's um, external um, uh, access to psychologists externally and access to um, certain uh, websites, very, very interesting and very important websites like like Ostley, for example, which has access to you know, legal information and education as well. All those things uh, can now come on. So people are you know, in, a, in a whole different headspace than they were in before. Okay, so can you tell us at what what stage are the negotiations now and who's involved? Well, look, the interesting thing in the situation is that um, is no one's disagreeing with the fact that um, that uh, uh, prisoners um, are entitled to access to digital services. No one's disagreeing with that. Would you believe that there's actually a 60% reduction of assaults on prison officers? 60%. 30% reduction on between prisoners um, on one another. So the statistics are really clear. It suits, suits everyone, actually. It means that people have got um, things to do. They've got contact with their families again, um, and they and they can actually do things. Instead of sitting there waiting for time to pass, they can actually um, learn some new skills, use their time. Actually, actually in future, even even the skills they'll learn, they can actually um, can can use their time in their cells to make money, right? Using the skills they've, they've um, maintained or regained. So there, this is a very significant change for for everyone, and um, and as, as I say, everyone gets a benefit from this, um, and including also getting access now to Medicare. So it means that um, prisoners can actually have access to to counselling, even their own GP in their cells. Now that's really interesting, and it's uh, it's really coming in behind uh, the success we had in in Kenya, the Nairobi Declaration for Detainee Telecommunications Rights is coming now coming into fruition. And we're making sure that um, that the success that's happening in New South Wales rolls out to Victoria and all the other states as well. So how does it all work, Brett? I, I know, you, has this already happened or is it happening as we speak? Well, and is we, the gov- which government is this that's doing this? Well, New South Wales government has actually accepted it and it has invested $42 million in, in, the, in, in the rolling out of the um, computer tablets and laptops. So that's, um, uh, it means that they have um, servers in each of the jails, 36 jails, and um, and they have um, what they call access points where people have been allocated a tablet which they take into their cell at night. So when they go in in the afternoon, 3.30 in the afternoon, um, they take a tablet in with them. Um, or else in some jails they actually have, keep the tablet in their cell and, they, and it gets charged in, in their cell. And um, and then uh, while they then they can actually spend their time in their cell, um, uh, uh, talking um, or um, uh, looking at websites, seeing things, interacting, and being active instead of just being passive, watching a, um, a TV and getting um, and um, bored shitless. 
So the, this is a situation where people can start to use their time properly. And um, the corrective services always talked about, oh, let's you know, let's um, uh, let's get people back on their feet, back on the streets. <laughs> what a joke that is! Um, no, no uh, stimulation at all inside the cell. Left there for um, on average 16 hours a day. And so this is actually this is a serious uh, game changer, um, which will be adopted by all states and territories. So we we're just keen to make sure that it includes um, access to external counsellors. Right? So we want to make sure that um, that there isn't a conflict of interest where you have a psychologist who's um, who's in the jail uh, supposed to be a counsellor. <laughs> you know how can that possibly be the case when they have a, a conflict of interest when they're reporting to um, to the authorities about security um, decisions, uh, release and that sort of thing, and be your trusted counsellor. Can't be both. So it means external counsellors are, are, um, are now being negotiated, um, and like as we speak, um, and, um, and access to uh, websites such as MindSpot, which has already been paid for by the government and um, so far hasn't been um, allocated, hasn't been allowed to prisoners, and um, that will follow. So there are a number of things like that, access to, once again, um, legal uh, uh, materials such as the Ostley website. That sort of stuff is now being negotiated. And it will go through because the um, the uh, investment has already been made. So that, uh, it only comes down now to um, for uh, uh, the government to um, agree um, and the basic basics are already in place for an agreement. Okay, so so what what's happening then is it's actually just at the stage where it hasn't been rolled out yet. It's just more about you know writing all these reports. No, no, that's not. No? Really, <laughs> we're writing their tail. I can assure you. Um, oh no, no, they, I'm not saying. I'm just saying with the government has the I government think, actually no, no, agreed. Well, well, you know, um, because we've been around so many years, we, we anticipate um, that they're uh, dragging their heels at all stages. That's what so I'm what trying we, to say, yeah. Yeah, well, you see, um, in fact, there has been resistance, there definitely has been, but the interesting thing is that the prison officers themselves see this as being uh, to their benefit as well. Oh. And the prison guards, um, well, they see that, and also the administration, the means that they can now um, send a message to every prisoner through the tablet or through the laptop, and it means that instead of going to talk to them, they can actually just send it, send it through to everyone. You look at your laptop. Come on, it's on there. You can see that. And you can also check the amount of money you've got in your account. You can, um, as I say, can um, access to access education services. So, for example... Um, look, it yeah, sounds well, like a fantastic, um, a fantastic thing. I mean, but in practice, when, does it, when is it going to happen? Well, it has already happened. Every prisoner currently, every prisoner in New currently, South Wales... Currently, every prisoner has, has a computer. Right now. Right now, Wonderful. everyone has a tablet. Yes, and a, and a, or a laptop. And so the only thing that's been negotiated now... Um, well, there are two things, <laughs> quite a few things, actually. But um, um, making sure that the um, that the counselling that we had been promised, that right. is uh, external counselling, because what we don't want to have is have the um, prison counsellors are the ones who are actually <laughs> who are supposed to be trusted. And so all you're doing really is um, is feeding them information, which is, you know, who tells, who tells the um, psychologist um, that you're feeling suicidal, you know, when, sure. when that's how you're feeling. That's the last thing you're going to be doing. Otherwise, you'll be sitting inside a, a, a stripped cell. So that's, you know, obviously you can't um, uh, uh, level with the prison psychologist. Likewise, if you're, you know, you're feeling um, you know, really angry, uh, that's not the sort of thing that you tell the prison psychologist because they're not going to be um, uh, recommending that you release on parole. So they're all the sort of things that um, where you can level 
with an external psychologist and actually and actually um, and get some proper uh, ideas about how you can deal with your stresses and how you can deal with your family, how you can deal with um, uh, and I quite often you know um, uh, you know families um, you know, leave while you're in while you while you're in jail and just to, to deal with them uh, uh, respectfully with um, uh, uh, your family. Uh, and to be able to talk with them and to learn new skills about um, about uh, linking up properly with them, uh, that all that domestic violence counselling is available, but hasn't been available before to prisoners. So this is actually very significant. And we were actually able to argue that it was actually saving um, uh, every year $110 million here in New South Wales, $110 million every year, 500 women and children were being unnecessarily brutalised by um, by prisoners who were, who were being released, who had no access to services, that was really the basis of the of the um, success of the of the campaign. So it's uh, it's now been in place, and as I say, every prisoner now has access to a computer tablet. Thank you so much for, clar- for clarifying all that, um, Brett. Because the media the media reports have been very very sketchy in regards to the topic of computer cells, uh, computer yes. cells. Well, look, we are um, in everything we're doing. We're making a point of sending sending um, the uh, reports to other states and territories as well. So we are actually um, are reporting uh, back to um, to the Victorian Minister and and to opposition and Greens and all the others. So so there's um, uh, you, I, I have no doubt. In fact, in, in fact, we're talking to Victorian prisoners at the moment. And um, and what we are told is many of them have computers in their cells at the moment, but no access to the internet. So they don't get at the moment they don't get access to um, to phone calls and things like that in their cells. But that will follow. In fact, we looked carefully at what the um, cost would be um, to have access in a, in a safe way, in the same way as um, currently people are writing letters to have access to email. And the and the cost is actually so ludicrously cheap. Like to set up a server, we found out for a, a single jail. $260,000 for, for a server for a 600-prisoner prisoner in jail and, and the cost for enough, enough um, access for every person to have um, access to video calls or access to, um, access, to, access to websites is going to cost a little bit over a dollar a month. That was what the cost would be according to a, a quote given to us. So now these things um, are cheap and the saving to the government and the public generally is enormous. And not sure what's happened with Brett Collins. Ah, did you lose me there? Oh, I've, there I've got you. Got you. Did you lose a bit of, a bit yeah, of that? Yeah, I think I lost you there, but that, that's fantastic. I'm sure it would have come through the panel. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. And I might just mention to you the uh, mental health stuff. I know. Please. I but before you get on to that, um, Brett, thank you so much again for clarifying, because as I said, it, it, it is very confusing sometimes to see what's actually happened. And I think one of the things that's important is to have that internet and email in. Absolutely. Absolutely make all the difference. And, and in, in the ACT, um, about uh, four years ago, we went through that jail and um, they've had um, a messaging there for the last 15 years. And they said, they said, in that small jail, only 400 people in the jail, uh, they had 22,000 emails moving in and out every week. So wow. the um, access to, uh, to messaging is something that's well and truly uh, in place. It just means that, um, that uh, other governments, other jurisdictions have to um, step up and make sure that um, there's no uh, the, the disadvantage that some prisoners suffer due to that they call the digital divide. 
that that be broken down. And so we're putting as much pressure as we can on every on every jurisdiction, including Victoria. So it's, um, it's not far away. It's going to happen for sure. It's not that far. So I, I, I was right in a way in that, you know, there was absolutely no internet, but that, that will happen. Let's now move on to the the forced medication. Can you tell us, give us some background about that and what, what's happening? Sure. Well, look, this is this is a big one, it really is. I mean, the, it's an outrage that they are forced to be medicating prisoners in their cells. Uh, this um, has happened only actually in New South Wales. It's, uh, they use what they call a, a forensic community treatment order, which allows them to, if they diagnose you as being mentally ill, and really, oh, you know, they can do that to anyone, really. Um, uh, if they do that, um, then they can say, well, um, if you're a risk of serious harm to yourself or others, and um, they can use that term so lightly, they really do. And um, you know, if, you, uh, um, if you aggravate other prisoners, for example, uh-huh, they can say that you're a risk of serious harm to yourself. Oh, we've had that argument put up to us. So um, this is a big, a big issue um, to ensure that they, like, they, we use the term chemical handcuffs, chemical handcuffs, the idea of restraint, chemical restraint um, on people who are disturbing to, um, to, um, to the prison. So it's a management issue, really. And um, it comes down to um, and they're forced to be medicating someone once a month, um, coming in with um, six nurses normally, holding a person down and injecting their buttocks and then letting them go, um, leaving the cell, and, just, um, and, and not having any sort of attention to them outside of that. Now, that's what we're resisting. And, um, and so in New South Wales, it's happening. In other states and territories, what they do is they move a person in a prison who they regard as being mentally ill into the health department. And that's um, at least as better, but there's still the um, entitlement for people to get counselling, to deal with their problems, to have um, family around them as well, have consumer workers around them. All those things are basic, and they're part of the, the battle they're currently raging. So it's, it's also happening in Victoria, we're saying off air. Look, I, I don't doubt it at all. In fact, this is not just a, um, it's a... It's a control from the top, from above situation where the, um, the uh, pharmaceutical companies have, have, uh, have offered something very nice and easy to a management wherever it is, in psych, inside a psych hospital, whether it's inside a prison. Um, uh, they can just medicate people in sufficient sit in the corner and act as though they um, go, oh, we're not doing anything. No, she's OK. She's sitting in the corner. And what they've really done is they've assaulted you um, at the most intimate base of your body itself and without the, uh, without the appearance of having done anything. It's a very sly uh, way of attacking people and, um, and we're um, running uh, a strong resistance to it. Absolutely. And indeed, doesn't that also apply in some ways to deaths in custody? Oh, absolutely! Oh, the two things do link together, and um, and when, in fact, if we if we go a little bit wider, we can even talk about aged care. Would you believe aged care is a similar situation where they um, have vulnerable people whom they control, and they decide they're just going to manage them into the corner. So, um, uh, this idea of uh, isolated people um, being uh, uh, being abused um, in a way that doesn't even appear that they're being abused. Um, it's, um, it must be resisted, and, um, and uh, we must also be, and be, be careful that, um, uh, that uh, they don't uh, uh, try to uh, uh, give you the alternative of, of uh, um, not being released um, or taking medication. They're the sorts of things that we're watching as well. Absolutely. Brett, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Just a final question. What yes, can the community do to, to help with the, these things? 
Well, look, I think the best thing is really to put pressure on the, on the parliamentarians. When they, I mean, it comes to writing, writing a letter to the, to the minister. I think that's really useful. I think also families, I mean, if they made a, um, a, an email through to the minister or to the local member of parliament to say that you know, the rights to telecommunications are basic. I, mean, I want to speak to my husband, my son, my, I want to have that contact um, with him, and he should now have access in his cell, the same as other jurisdictions have. So I think that's a really basic um, uh, um, demand, demand that uh, people have access Absolutely. to telecommunications, access to information, and, um, and it's to everyone's benefit, because suddenly you've got people actually doing something, you know, using their time in their cells properly. Now, come on, how basic is that? That's exactly right. And are there any media releases or reports that the community or listeners can read on Justice Action? Well, absolutely. Look, right in the top left-hand um, corner of our website is is um, the discussion around uh, the Nairobi Declaration of Telecommunication Rights, and we're running and right behind that. We're negotiating on what's going to be on the tablets, as I said earlier, access to law. They're the sort of things which um, where you have a legal entitlement to information, and they're the sort of things which are, are the levers which you've won in the past. So it's really important to um, to keep the demands in there, push hard, and people who are in, in the soil should be encouraging their families to do that as well. And what, sorry, what's the website for Justice Action? Okay, so website is www.justiceaction.org.au. And there's a, a chance for people to send messages from there as well, or families can actually make a, make a contact with us. Of course, we're happy, happy to help and, um, and give the advice we can. It's so lovely to have you back on the show, Brett. You've been on our on the Doing Time show for many years now, and <laughs> you know we always have you on to to talk about the forced medication, the computer, the computers in prison cells, because this is a gross violation of human rights, isn't it? Absolutely, it is, and also there's a chance really for to open up things like the OpCat stuff as well. They all that comes through um, from communications. So telecommunications means everyone um, then from their cells can actually have their voices heard, and that's what it's all about. If they can, they can get those some um, 42,000 uh, voices out there and their families, another 120,000 people there. If we can have those voices out there, then things will change, and they won't be won't be uh, sticking people in boxes, acting as though they're some sort of a subhuman. Well, that's exactly right. Thank you so much, Brett. Take care. Okay. Thank you, Marissa. Lovely to speak with Take you care. again. You okay. too. Hello. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The fears are Palestinian staffs, and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes for fears, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafir to an array of modern designs, explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafirs.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Every form of discrimination that exists in our community is magnified and utilised by prisons to cause greater division and disarm solidarity. We've got to really 
put a lens of perspective on this and know that there are children being incarcerated as young as 10 years old. Police and prisons, they're doing exactly what this colony wants them to. Who do we defend? And who else? Prisons, pull them down. Yeah. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. Stand strong, stand 
the Chilean community, in partnership with the AMWU's International Solidarity Initiative, is holding a commemorative event for the 50th anniversary of Chile's coup, September 11, the day that changed us forever. Join generations of Chilean refugees, exiles and recent arrivals together with Australian unionists and activists in the Solidarity Movement for a night of testimonies, speakers, poetry and music on Monday, September 11 from 6pm at Solidarity Hall at the Victorian Trades Hall. This event will be held in English and all are welcome. To register, search for Chile 50 Years on eventbrite.com.au. Chile, 50 years of solidarity and struggle. A 3CR supporter. And it's approximately 4.29 and this is the Doing Time show and you just heard a song by Kutcher Edwards called Stand Strong, beautiful First Nations musician. And next up on the show we're going to be speaking with First Nations author and educator, um, Uncle Richard Trunjan, and he was also a special guest at the Mole Creek Memorial um, this year in June. Hi, Richard. Welcome to the program. Marissa, it's good to be with you. It's good to be with you too. It's uh, I've really been looking forward to talking to you because I really enjoyed our interview last time when we were talking about languages and um, and health and a lot of really important in-depth things. Yeah. So could you just tell us, first of all, what land you're from? Well, with, with the Yongor Nations here in northeast Arnhem Land, there's about, uh, oh, used to be, let's say, 32 different clan groups. It's down to about 40 these days. But they're a group of people who all have uh, um, a suffixing language. Uh, which was interesting across Australia. My, many people might know there was suffixing languages and prefixing languages. So just south of us, uh, 100k south, it's a prefixing language around Groot Island, Island Diliakwa people. And but here in Arnhem Land, there's uh, northeast Arnhem Land. It's a if it's it's a suffixing language. South of us is a prefixing language. I might have got that wrong. And uh, so that makes them one sort of language group. There's a number of different languages within that. But most people speak up to 13 different languages or dialects within that language group. Absolutely. And I'm wondering if you could talk about the fact... Uh, I suppose there's just so much to talk about. Really, as a starting point, maybe we could discuss some things in regards to Aboriginal people not having their language, some of the, the problems that can arise from that Massive, massive. We're filling we're filling the jails in the Northern Territory, and probably in Queensland and some other places where people still speak their their home language as their original Australian language. Uh, but in Northern Territory here, it's quite clear. Um, school attendance is down to forty percent in many schools, uh, and if you talk to those young kids, they're just traumatised. Now we're saying schools should be a safe place. It should be a safe place. How can they be a safe place for uh, First Nations people who speak an original Australian language, and yet the classroom is all foreign to them? And they just they walk they walk out of that classroom. Some some survive it. Some survive it. And the the chances are they've got somebody in their family who speaks English fairly well. But the ones who haven't got somebody in their family speaking English fairly well, 
they don't survive it. And they go out and they get angry. They get angry at everybody, their family, at the community and everyone. So they start breaking entries. They start stealing things. And, every, and everybody's going, oh, we need to lock them up. Well, how about just becoming modern, modern and saying, okay, why not just change the schooling system so it's in their language and it's Australian language and stop treating Aboriginal languages as though they're primitive something by castes where you can just, uh, you know, you just only learn two or three words out of it. We use language down to a deep biomedical level, to a high business level. There are economic and legal terms in Yungamata that do not exist in English. So we say get real about language, please. Indeed, and we were talking a lot about this last time uh, in June. It was just, uh, I think it may have been just before the Mile Creek Memorial, we did an interview about this. Yeah. And I'm so glad we've gone a step further and that you're talking about over-incarceration and the mm. fact that language, you know, needs to be taught in schools. <laughs> well, it, it should be the whole language as a school, that's all I'm saying. Oh. We, we've, got to get a, we've got to get away from backpack to, backpacker teachers. Now, there are a lot of good teachers out there trying their hardest against the system because the system doesn't train them in the children's language. The system doesn't teach them how to create a, a safe classroom environment where the kids can learn. And, and Melissa, sadly, this is down to the view, what I call the settler's view of Aboriginal people, where the original settlers came along and they named the Aboriginal culture, the Aboriginal people as primitive, backward and so forth. Now, they put those same names on these languages and everybody, including the Education Department in Northern Territory, consider it uh, something, you know, we'll do bilingual, but we'll do it at a kindergarten level. Now, we're saying do bilingual right up to a university level because that's what we do every day in the, in the stuff that we produce. Uh, we go to a high university academic level in Yungamata, original Australian language. And there's there's concepts. I find, you know, I had to translate something on Saturday and I found English just so incompetent when it comes to translating some of the big, deep uh, concepts, uh, the cultural, economic, legal and even uh, medical concepts we find that English is just, just just not there. It just hasn't got the terms for it. So instead of these languages being seen as primitive, they should be seen as highly sophisticated languages. And we should be putting the resources behind it and getting teachers to learn these languages rather than just saying, oh, that's just something you do on the side. Um, I can give you examples around that if you want. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, well, look, look. You, you get a teacher linguist come along, so somebody's paid as a teacher linguist. Not, they're not even given time to learn that language because everybody thinks, oh, you'll learn five or ten words, you know, primitive language, primitive words. Uh, we're, we're saying do it properly. I'll give you an example. If a doctor was to go to the European economic community across to Europe to, from Australia to practice over there in, uh, as a doctor, they would be required by the European Economic Community to do three years of language study before they went. But no, people come straight out of Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, wherever, land in an Aboriginal community, they're not given any resources to learn that language, 
they're not given any time to learn that language. Now, I say bring teachers in. Don't let them do any teaching for three months. Sit them down in a classroom and, and teach them cultural competency things and teach them language over that three months. And you would find after five, ten years, massive gains, massive gains in kids getting through the schools rather than translating into jails, uh, kids going on to get uh, uh, employment and so forth like that. But you'd also have teachers staying because they'd be excited about what they're doing rather than what's happening now. Teachers hit the what we call the, the coal phase pretty hard. They, they become frustrated because they can't, they can't control the classroom. I don't know how many teachers have told me, I can't even control the classroom. I can't even tell the kids to be quiet, to sit up straight, to get out their books or whatever. I can't even do that. How, how am I supposed to be teaching them any form of uh, education? Now, the last NAS uh, test and so forth, the national uh, testing and all that, will, will show that Northern Territory schools are probably the worst, worst in the nation. Uh, there's lots of money being pushed this way. But it's not money that's needed. It's a change of attitude to treat languages as something special rather than just some side cultural event like like a dance or something, but as real, true academic things. I so love the way you said that, Uncle. It's it, It's really important because, you know, I often... You know, there's a lot of performance, there's a lot of uh, exhibitions, there's a lot yep. of preservation of language in museums and yep. you've got, you know, your research, you know, the, yep. the, and it's really fantastic that Aboriginal people are, are learning language. And mm. But you're right, it needs to be in the schools. And, and it, there needs to be a language school. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we're people yeah. who are learning language, like Wiradjuri people are now learning Wiradjuri again. Well, that's great. It's great. Yeah. But there's some places in Australia where people are still speaking that language as a first language. And wherever that is, that school should be operating in that language. And if we yeah. just... Like, like I get so angry about this at times because kids are now... They're changing the legislation in Queensland. If you break parole, bang, straight back into jail, don't get out again. And they're, they're talk, I think they're still talking about doing it in the Northern Territory. Mm-hmm. So these kids have been locked up full-time in jail because they do not know what the word parole or probation means. We even use two words for it in English. They don't know what those words mean in English. And yet, get this, not in 200 years has any federal government ever produced an English learning program for one of these original Australian languages in 200 years, not once that I know of. Now, to me, that is an absolute shame. We say we want to support Aboriginal culture and give people a voice, but how can you give them a voice if we're not even treating their languages properly and respecting their languages? Uh, I say give them a language learning tools also so they can learn mainstream English, hang on to their beautiful poetic very academic languages, and also learn English at the same time. Because at the moment, people are even being taken out of communities. Young uh, kids have been taken out of communities in sponsorship, scholarships going south. They, they spend about 18 months there, and then they hit the ceiling, the English ceiling, and they come back home broken. 
Nobody goes, why is this happening? Why are we spending millions of dollars to break these kids? And then a lot of these kids go off to what we call the long grass in the Northern Territory. They become itinerants. We have taught them to get lost between two cultures. And now they're broken people with no hope. And I'm wanting to say, look, it's not the lack of... It's not homelessness that's creating the problem in the Northern Territory. It's hopelessness, where people have lost hope because they can't understand the world around them that speaks an English language, a language that's foreign to them still. They're, they're the, people have got to learn their languages again, and it's great. But also, let's stop the, uh, the death of languages that's happening right across Australia. It's true. I mean, you know, so many First Nations people, English is their second language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and when are we going to wake up to that? <laughs> exactly. And you can... It, I don't know if you've ever heard of South East Desert Metal. It's no, actually I haven't heard You may not be into it. It's a really amazing metal band. Um, and it's, it's, it's... I believe it's from the Northern Territory. I'm not... Sh- I've got to find out exactly what part. But the, most of these guys in the band... English mm. is their second language, and it's it's a it's a combination of um, language and English, and it's just beautiful. Yeah, and political too. Well, look at Baker Boy. Look at Baker Boy. Yeah. You no, know, Baker Boy. He 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 accepts that uh, award he got last year, or whatever it was, Citizen mm. or whatever it was. He could not. He could not respond in mainstream English. Oh, right? that's right. Right, and to me. Why don't people go, oh, this is a bit of a shame, you know. Here he is, great star now, and he's going up, 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 up. But he is crippled in his communication because no federal government has ever provided an English learning program for people like him and all his all his family and clan members and everything else. And this is Australia 2023. This is not Captain Philip, Captain Cook. This is 2023. Now, if you and I want to learn a language, we can go off and learn Greek, Yugoslav, whatever. We just get it in five minutes. Yeah, five minutes on the internet, mm-hmm. right? But if if Baker Boy wants to learn English, there's no program for him. It has to be an open source program. You can't let the education department and all that control it because they're the, they'll they'll build a program and then they'll put it in the bin in about three years' time. Uh, so it should be an open source program with, which will be around for the next hundred years. And people, rather than people going off and learning a Creole English, a half-broken English, which usually happens because there's no structured pathway for them to learn in mainstream English. Uh, I'll give you, I can give you a quick example of this. People can come from China hardly speaking English. They fly out of here on a plane. They've got a, they've got a resource while they're on the plane. Many people, uh, migrants of this country, have told me this same story. And then they've got another resource when they get out and they get into university. It's called a dictionary. You know, this is not rocket science. Now, they can get, from China, they can get access to 32,000 English words, the meaning to 32,000 English words. A young child coming from northeast Arnhem Land, heading off to... um, high school, down south, uh, uni, whatever, have no such resource. So the Chinese person can go on to be a doctor. The younger person goes on to be a criminal, locked up in jail. After they're so frustrated, they come back, they hit the ceiling, English ceiling, 
they 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 blame themselves. They say, "I failed, I failed," because of the hype that was given to them. Everybody says, "Oh, if you go to high school, you get your certificate and you get a job and you da 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 da." They build them up, they put them up on this pedestal, and then they take a chainsaw and go through the pedestal. And the chainsaw is the lack of self-learning resources like dictionaries and a learning program that can learn mainstream English in. And yet people are going, why is this, all this happening? It's simple, guys. As I say, this is not rocket science. <laughs> this is pretty simple. And yet we can't get people to turn their heads this way. And, uh, and especially in government, even NIA, National Indigenous Aboriginal Agency, whatever it's called these days, uh, they'll pay they'll pay a big money for shooting hoops and kicking footballs, but when it comes to academic learning, they go, oh, not sure if Aboriginal people want this. <laughs> Give me a break. All the questions I get every every day on the phone, you know, what does this word mean? What does that word mean? What's this word mean? Uh, what was the word this morning? Uh, a young director, illicit, illicit drugs, and the young director goes. Uh, what does illicit mean? Now, he has nowhere to go to find out what that English word means in his original Australian language. And to me, that is an absolute shame. Absolute shame. It really shame. is. It's shocking. Yeah. Tell us about the, the work that you're... That, are you doing some work around language, I believe? We, we work around language every day, but we do it in a practical sense, not in terms of mm. the uni or school or whatever. So at the moment, we're working with one young family uh, and building up their business. So I, the, 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 I speak uh, economic, legal and medical young mata. Uh, me and my number one son are the only two English first language people that I know of that knows these language to the level we do. And it's because for now, uh, over 40 years, I've been at the coalface with people, helping them run their own communities, get into business, uh, understand local government, uh, understanding what this disease or sickness or whatever is. So we've been at the coalface there all the time in what we call community development, or we call discovery education. So community education, community development. And because we're in that, that interface between the languages, we're working on languages all the time. Uh, now, that means that... Um, and 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 I was just producing stuff on on a site called Jumpbeach Maram, Jumpbeach Maram, but that's hard for people to grab it if it's not their language. But if people go to whywarriors.com.au, whywarriors.com.au, that comes from that book, Why Warriors Lie Down and Die, uh, and um, so that's our company site. And you go on to the Human Learning site. On that site, there's over 500 podcasts and I think something like 60 videos, all in language. Some of them are translated back into English, some of them are not, because we just didn't have the dollars to do it. But I want to get back in that area, because uh, 20 years ago, young elders of Arnhem Land, and I was then the CEO of an organisation called Aboriginal Resource and Development Service, we built uh, Yungle Radio, and we built Yungle Radio to be an educational service. Unfortunately, today it's more a play music service than an educational service, mainly because people come along again and say, well, Aboriginal people don't really want education, we'll just play the music. And they don't see the power that's in language 
that if something is explained in language, then people can understand some of the deepest legal, economical, medical things very, very quickly in Yungamata. I'll give you an example of that. If I'm if I'm teaching diabetes to a Yumo patient in their language, it takes me about three quarters of an hour to work through the whole theme of insulin relation to sugar in the body and the effects on the body. About three quarters of an hour. If I do the same in English, and remember English is my first language, it takes me an hour and a half. And after a number of years, I saw this over and over again, and I thought... Wow, why is it taking me so long to do it in English? Because English really is quite incompetent in many ways at explaining these deep things very quickly, especially the concept language, or we call the cognitive effective language or the academic language. That language you can't see. You can only hear that word like uh, illicit, illicit drugs. You've got to hear the word and you've got to know what it means. There's no image that's behind it. And we find that when we get to that level of language, your mother is way ahead of English, and there's reasons for that. Uh, and uh, so it's a very powerful teaching language. If we started to use these powerful teaching languages where people are still speaking those languages as a first language, we'd have Aboriginal kids going bang through the university in half the time of getting through the education systems that, that is now there. Uh, unfortunately, we can't turn the mainstream uh, bias, in a sense, uh, and most of the subconscious bias, the subconscious bias against these languages. We can't turn it around for them to see these languages as truly academic. We do stuff like, um, where does money come from? Uh, how do you run a business? Uh, uh, people go onto that site, yworries.com.au, and then go to the Yungle Learning site. You'll see subjects there. You'll even get what does makarata mean, you know? Uh, everybody's using that term. We've got to have a makarata and a treaty and so on. Well, on there is actually explained in, in one of the first languages, and I think I've back-translated that as well into English so people can get access to it. It's so important, isn't it? And I, I'm just really happy that you you were able to talk about language and how how things need to change, don't they? Yeah, well, um, you know... Well, we're you know, in a colonial setting, aren't we, really? We, we're still in a colonial setting. We're, we're still in a post-colonial setting or a neo-colonial setting where the, where the images of the original settlers, uh, those original people, named Aboriginal culture, named Aboriginal people, they are still the names that most people apply in their mind, even subconsciously, and not realising that, wow, we've got these massive academic languages out there. And they're dying flat out. Every old person that dies, we're losing, we're losing language terms right now. And I'm trying to get as many of them as recorded in, in a, in a um, uh, what, what would you call, effective program which actually explains something while we're, we're doing it. We're not just collecting it for a museum or whatever, because once it's once it's dead, it's dead. It can be there. And is your book is your book um, about that? Why Warriors Lie Down and Die actually goes into this in a big way, talking about the need for language and all that stuff. Now that was written twenty years ago, but it's still selling about forty or fifty copies a month. It's still a a, a, a good seller here in Arnhem Land. Doctors who come to Arnhem Land uh, 
legal people, lawyers and so forth, and, uh, and ordinary people all over Australia who want to understand what's happening on the other side. Why are things not working? Why does the gap never close? Uh, read that book because that's what it was written for, was to explain why warriors lie down and die. And that's where the heading came from. Uh, and, uh, and it works through that uh, in a consistent way, looking at the history and then working through some of the themes that are necessary to understand what I'm talking about here. And lots of examples, lots of examples, First Nation people, younger people's uh, examples about how this is affecting them or that is affecting them. Uh, yeah, we've drawn on their... We, we, use, we use their daily living, in a sense, and the problems that they've got as their case studies in everything I write. Uh, so it's real from the ground. Absolutely. Look, I, I wanted to give you lots of space today to talk about this. It's a really important topic because it's crucial, isn't it? Oh, that's absolutely crucial. We can and, uh, and, of course, the voice. The voice. We all go idea. Another show. What's that? Yeah. Look. Look, in Arnhem Land, still hardly anybody understands what the what the voice is about, yeah. and there's different views. Now, I'll probably vote yes because I just can't stand the 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 negative of the other side, honestly, including some Aboriginal people who are pushing that from the other side. Uh, <laughs> I think it it could be good for many English first language Aboriginal people across Australia, First Nations people across Australia, to have that voice. But what I'm saying, talking about is another level of voice, giving giving the people who, who aren't English mainstream, giving them a voice also. And somehow or another, we've got to connect that together. And that could be done in legislation after the, after the referendum. Uh, somehow we're going to have to get that clearly put in there to get the voice of the people off the ground. Uh, and because unless it happens, it, it'll just become uh, a bit of an academic... Uh, uh, or another level of bureaucracy, um, which people have got to sort of deal with. But uh, yeah, I'll put my I'll put my two bob worth worth in. I'll probably be voting yes because I just can't stand the negativity of the other side. <laughs> oh dear, it's couldn't a possibly forty. I couldn't let them win, honestly. <laughs> they I know me. exactly what you mean. It's very hard. <laughs> I'm so glad that you've come onto the show. Um, Uncle Richard, and thank you very much. It's approximately 4.55. We've got two minutes left. And we will talk to you very soon. Yeah, good on you. Anytime. Love it. Thank good on you. Chut-chut. Thank you. Chut-chut. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It will not address the deep underlying issues that still pervade Australian society. And that primary issue is white Australian racism. We've got a clear-cut case here of intentional genocide from the get-go, from the round table in England. The true history in this country isn't told. The government always say that they're committed to a truth-telling process. Well, where is your truth-telling process? I really believe that at the end of the day, the truth will emerge. You can't fight against the truth. It's, it's, a, it's an unstoppable force. It's indestructible. So deal with it. 3CR. Stay tuned, stay radical.
thank you to our guests. I'm out of here. Stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time show. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Sisters, if it's disabled, are you the one who's going